Welcome to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, located in Winfield, Alabama. Today, we welcome a special guest speaker, Kevin Ham, pastor of Gardendale First Baptist Church in Gardendale, Alabama. We hope you enjoy this life-changing message as we celebrate Good Friday in preparation for Resurrection Sunday. Now, let's join Kevin Ham as he brings the word. Well, we're grateful for Jesus, aren't we? And all he has done for us. And uh, he is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me to be here tonight. God bless you, brother. If you can preach as good as she's and sing, brother, you're going to be doing okay. Amen. Hallelujah, man. I tell you, I love the worship. Thank all of you, your praise team, the whole group of you. God bless you. And uh, Pastor, thank you for inviting me. I know you don't open your pulpit up lightly as a pastor, so thank you for trusting me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm under your authority. If I say anything he disagrees with, you go with him. He's the shepherd. And then God will straighten him out later. Amen. But anyway, uh, I know I'm teasing. I am under your authority. I believe in the local church. So thank you for allowing me to preach the word tonight just for a few minutes together on this good Friday evening. Uh, and just remember how good and how great and how awesome our great God is. You know, I say at my church many times, there's no one, there's no one who loves you like God loves you. And you cannot sing these great songs and hear that great song and see that video and not realize there is no one who loves you like God loves you. And I will tell you, if they ever needed a touch from Jesus in our nation, in our world, it is certainly right now. And so really, I, I really debated on what do you preach on a, on a, on a rainy good, good Friday evening. And the Lord just led me to a simple text, Luke chapter 7. If you brought your word, please turn there with me. I'll read it in just a moment, Luke chapter 7. But I want to preach for just a few minutes tonight on a touch of Jesus. Um, I don't think I have to convince you that our nation's in trouble. I have never seen a time, I, I can't imagine. I, you know, I have three daughters. In fact, I have, you know, I, uh, my youngest daughter, she's 20 now. She was three when we came to Gardendale First Baptist. So, in fact, my 20-year-old came to me the other day. Pastor, you'll enjoy this. And she said to me, Dad, look, uh, you know, our television, you know, you're on TV with our, with our Sunday morning broadcast. And she said to me, Dad, uh, you need to dye your hair. And she said, because, you know, over the years now, your hair's gotten really gray, and you're on TV, Dad, and you probably, you need to just consider dyeing your hair. And I said to her, as only a father could, I said, I'm not going to do that. And she said, why? I said, because I want the people to know the price I have paid for living with four women. <laughs> My wife and three daughters, let me tell you. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that my daughters are growing up in a nation that I've never seen before. They'll, and I don't mean to be an alarmist tonight, and uh, I don't want to manipulate your emotions, but I want to tell you, uh, my generation and younger, folks that are younger than us, they, they don't really know the America that we grew up in. This is, an unu this is a strange, and I may even say this is certainly a pagan, we're no longer a Christian nation, don't fool yourself. This is a pagan nation. And I just want to tell you, if we ever needed a touch of Jesus, if this nation... If my church, if your church, if my city, if your city, if my neighborhood and your neighborhood ever need a touch from Jesus, it is now. Our schools have become war zones. There's drugs on every corner of every community and every city. Now listen, there was a time it was only in the metropolitan cities, right? The big cities had all the crime. That's no longer true. In, Mar in every Mayberry RFD in America, there's crime on every corner. I'm telling you, our nation is falling apart. If, if, if you don't, listen, I, I, I can take a lot of time and convince you of that, or you can just agree and say, preacher, get on with it. What, what you want me to do? 
Come on, get up. So we need a touch from Jesus. If we need a touch from Jesus, would you shake your head? Amen? Now listen, if you'll participate, it'll go a lot quicker. If you don't participate, I keep preaching and preaching. Jacks will eventually close, let me tell you. So we need a touch from Jesus, don't we? Our world's falling apart. Our kids are growing up in a nation we've never witnessed before. Our churches are struggling, many of them dying on the vine. There's no power, there's no anointing, there's no favor. We need a touch of Jesus. I'm telling you, the church of God is trying to do the work of God without the power of God. I was telling Brother Danny here, you know, and your pastor, there was a time you could probably go to almost any church in any neighborhood. I mean, you could just casually show up on a Sunday, and I'm telling you, they'd sing good old songs, and you'd have a preacher get up there, and I'm telling you, he'd preach a cover off the Bible. He'd stand and say, Thus saith the Lord, and he'd preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, he would say, Thus saith the Lord. That's no longer the case in our world anymore. Uh, many churches never preach the gospel anymore. We tell a lot of great stories. We got a lot of great entertainers, wonderful comedians. But where is the old-fashioned men of God who stand in the pulpit of God, get a word of God like your pastor, and say, Thus saith the Lord. Say, well, you're going to offend somebody. Let me tell you something. One day I'm going to stand and give an account for what I preach on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stand and him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We get a bit, bit preaching the gospel of Jesus. We need to touch him, Jesus. Boy, I need a touch from Jesus. Maybe somewhere along the line you've lost your fervor, your fire, your passion. Maybe COVID. I, I've said many times, Pastor, maybe you would agree that COVID only accelerated what was already happening in our churches. It really just kind of put it on the fast track. It really revealed to us where our heart was. Maybe COVID and all the struggle, and it was real, no doubt about it. Maybe, maybe COVID kind of robbed you of your joy of Jesus. No fire, maybe all the political unrest. Have you ever seen a time where we've had so much political unrest and craziness? We've lost our minds. Look at your neighbor tonight. Come on, tell him. We've gone cuckoo. Go on, tell him, would you? Come on, help me. We've gone cuckoo. You probably never thought you'd say that on a good Friday service. It'd be the last time he ever invites me here. I'm telling you, church, we need a touch from Jesus like never before. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Let me answer that. Three very simple ways from Luke chapter 7. Number one, you must get desperate. You must get desperate for a touch from Jesus. Look at our text. It's Luke chapter 7. Uh, look at verse 36 and follow. And then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, a bottle of perfume. And she stood at the feet of Jesus behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and she anointed them with fragrant oil. All right, let's pause there just a moment. Number one, if you want to touch from Jesus, my church, your church, me, you, us, how does that happen? Number one, you must get desperate. You know, I don't know everything there is to know about church and about the Bible. I was saved when I was 8 years old. I, I surrendered the ministry when I was 11 years old. People said, well, did you know what you're doing? No, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I, I've really been doing this all my life. And I don't know everything, but I have learned this. God seems to respond to desperation. And in our text, we find a lady who's very desperate for a change in her life. You, you say, how do you know she's desperate? Let me give you two simple ways. Number one, she was not invited to the Pharisee's house, but she showed up. Now, now go back and look at the text again. The Bible is very clear that the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house. 
this woman hears, she learns that Jesus is in town, and she shows up. But she was not invited. Why did she show up? She was desperate. Most scholars would tell us she was a prostitute. She had no joy in her life. Her life was not where God wanted it. It wasn't even where she wanted it. She was desperate. She was helpless. She, she was hopeless. She, she, she lost her joy. She, just, she knew there must be something more to life than this. And she hears, one translation says, she learns that Jesus is in town. And she decides, I'm going to go over there and show up. Man, I'm telling you, I've got to get to Jesus. She was not going to wait for another time. He might not be there another time. She was not going to wait for a more opportune time. This was her moment, and she wasn't going to miss it. And she showed up, but she was uninvited. Now stay with me a moment. Use your biblical imagination, right? She's speaking with her girlfriends, right? And she's at the salon or maybe at the, at the grocery store. And she says to some of her girlfriends, you'll never guess where I'm going tonight. And they respond back, where are you going? I'm headed over the Pharisee's house. Jesus is there. And they may respond back, well, we didn't know you knew the Pharisee. And she says, I don't. You don't. No, but you're going to his house. That's right. Has he invited you? Mm-mm. He, he didn't invite you. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't call you or text you. He didn't private message. He didn't, he didn't TikTok you. Some of y'all have to explain it. He, he, did, he didn't leave you a message. He didn't send you a text. He didn't send you an invite in the mail. No, but you're going to his house. That's right. And they would probably say to her, well, girl, you, you can't just show up to somebody's house uninvited. You could probably see her step back and say, Girls, you better watch me because I heard Jesus is in town and I've got to see Jesus. My life's not where it needs to be. I know it's not where God wants it to be. I have no joy. I have no peace. And I've heard about this Jesus. I heard this Jesus can raise the dead. I've heard this Jesus can touch lame limbs and they grow strong again. I heard Jesus interrupted a funeral procession and said, Sit up. I heard this Jesus shout to Lazarus, come forth, and he can oh, I can't wait. I've got to get over to see this Jesus. She was desperate. I don't sense that kind of desperation in most of our churches. I'll be honest with you. I don't oftentimes sense it in my own life. Think about the Pharisee. He's sitting at the table with Jesus. I mean, that's the text. In fact, one translation says he's reclining at the table with Jesus. And in those days, of course, they didn't have the tall dinner tables with the chairs. They would have a, a kind of a, a, a low-level table, and they would have what we would call kind of throw pillows, maybe couch pillows, right? And they would lean to one side or another. It's like at my house. I cannot find our bed in my bedroom. I never seen so many pillows, throw pillows in all my life. It takes me a half an hour to find my pillow. Anyway, I won't go there. She's not in the service. But anyway. And so here, here they are. They're leaning. The Bible says recline at the table. The, 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 the word picture really is that, that here they are. They kind of lean to one side or the other, the right or the left. They have their elbow on a pillow. And here, here's this Pharisee. He's sitting. He's reclining at the table. Listen to me. With the King of kings and Lord of lords. You, you can imagine him telling his fellows at work, you'll never guess who's coming to my house tonight. Who? Jesus. Get out of here. No, no, he is. No way. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. I, it, it's shocking to me, but I'm telling you, Jesus is going to be at my house. So he's sitting across the table, and, 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 and hear my heart, he's eating chips and salsa with Jesus. I mean, let that sink in. I mean, I'm, I'm not... 
I don't think that's, that's an injustice to the Scripture. He's eating, with, he's eating with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he sent this table, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And he's probably thinking of all nights for the Mormons to show up. You have got to be kidding me, right? Got their bicycles in the front yard. Anyway, you know, if you're a Mormon, forgive me. But anyway, I'm just telling you. And so he, are you serious, right? And so he walks over to the door. Now don't miss this in the humor. And in walks this uninvited woman. Why? She was desperate. She was desperate. I, I, do, I really don't sense that kind of desperation in my life many times, in, in my church, in your church. And maybe that's the reason we're in a mess right now. As long as we can pay the bills and, you know, the finances are good, we're like, hey, hey, pastor, just calm down. The sun will come up in the morning again. And that's exactly why this nation's in the mess we're in. Because the enemy has robbed us right up underneath our noses while the church has fallen asleep on the job. At some point, somebody's got to say, wake up, wake up. Wake up. Come on. Look at your name. Help me. Come on. Say it with a smile. Look at them. Tell them wake up. Would you? Come on. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Yes. And I'm telling you, the Bible says that, that God will draw near to those who draw near to Him. The book of Isaiah says He'll pour water on him that is thirsty. Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? They will be filled. I'm just submitting you tonight. I don't come as an expert. My church doesn't have it all figured out. You, 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 you came to our church, you know we're not a perfect church. I'm the pastor. We got trouble to begin with. I, I, but I do know this. My pastor's in heaven now. Pastored the same little church in Bowling Green, Kentucky for over 50 years. He never married, single his entire life. He was my pastor. And he would say to me as a young preacher boy, he'd say, Kevin, you have all of God you really want. Boy, it's a sobering thought, isn't it? But it's a true thought. I don't know why God would bring me here on a rainy Friday night, on a, on a good Friday night, maybe just to kind of rattle your cage as I rattle my own cage and just look deep down in our heart and our soul. Our nation's falling apart while the church kind of twiddled their thumbs. And we're, we're, listen to me, at some point somebody's got to say, Oh God, we need you more than we need our next breath. She was desperate. I, let me tell, can I give you one more way we know she was desperate? She wasn't inviting him, she showed up. One more way I might show to you she was desperate. Notice how the Bible describes her. Did you see that? I think it's verse 37. And, and when a woman from the city... Now watch this description. Do you see it? Who was a sinner? Whoa. Boy, that's pretty descriptive, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty... We never get her name. You can read the text yourself later. We never get her name, just a description. And what a description it is. When a woman from the city who was a sinner, that's all we get. Now, we don't typically describe... We know everybody's sinners, right? Our pastor said it earlier, for all of sin. That's why we thank God for Jesus, right? Of course. But we don't typically describe people like that, right? I mean, I wouldn't say, to, hey, man, meet my good friend, Brother Ken. He's a sinner. Now, we know he's a sinner, right? His wife will tell you that. But, but, but we don't typically say that. Well, not, when we describe somebody, we might use a feature about them or some kind of uh, place where they were. For instance, we might say, hey, you know the woman I'm talking about. She is a, she's kind of tall, slender, got brunette hair. And you say, oh, sure, I know you. Or we might say, uh, hey, you, you know her. She, she lives at the corner of Third Note, got the big pine tree in the backyard, got the white picket. Oh, yeah, I've been by her house before. I know who you're talking about. 
Or we might say, uh, you know the woman I'm talking about, she works down at the local grocery. She's one of those checkout clerks. And you say, oh, sure, I've been down her aisle before. I know she's a sweet lady. I know her. Or in the country, we used to say something like this. You, you know who I'm talking about. She's old man Smith's daughter. We'd say, oh, sure, old man Smith's daughter. I know you're talking about. But that's not the kind of description we get here. The Bible describes her a woman from the city who was a sinner. And why does the Bible describe her that way? I, 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 don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I think one reason is God's trying to teach us that Jesus did not come for the well. He came for the sick. And the church was never designed to be a museum for saints. Always a hospital for sinners. And I tell folks, if you don't have any problems, any issues, don't join our church. We'll mess you up. So just for a moment, remove your religious mask. And could you just admit that we all have troubles and we've all got a past We've all got issues. In fact, look at your neighbor tonight. This will really encourage them. Look at somebody near you and tell them you've got issues. Come on, tell them, right? Yeah, you've got issues. Yeah. I see some of these married folk. He ain't going to tell his wife. No, I've got to go home with her preacher. I, uh-uh. I like you, but I don't like you that much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we all have it, but that's the way God designed the church, right? My, my wife and I, when we were younger, th- three daughters now, when, we were, when our kids were much younger, our best arguments happened on the way to church. I mean, I would get up and, man, I'd be ready. I'd shave, dress. I'm in the car, man, studying my message on patience, honking the horn. Hurry up, hurry up. My wife's stuck in the house trying to get three girls ready for church, right? Finally, after about an hour, she'd come dragging out. The kids would jump in the back. She'd get one leg in the front. I'd take off dragging the other one down the street, right? Come on, we got to get to church. And all the way to church, those three girls be sitting in the back seat just fussing and fighting the whole way to church. She looking at me. She couldn't say her S's. So she tearing it, staring. She tearing at me, Dad. She's breathing my air. She's sitting on my side. She's touching me, Daddy. I said, I'm going to touch somebody. We're going to church. Get spiritual. And I'd pull in the church parking lot, put it in park, and open the door and say, Good morning, Pastor. How you doing, brother? We're going to finish this later. Yeah. Aren't you thankful that Jesus died for messed up people like all of us? And this woman was not going to let her sin keep her from the Savior. See, that's the whole deal. That's the whole reason she went. See, the enemy will say, you can't go to church. Your life's not perfect. Those folks look at them. They got their pearly white hair. They got, you know, teeth are perfect, hair is perfect. Nothing could be further than the truth. But the enemy convinces folks, you can't come to church to get your life fixed. No, no, no. You come to church so God can help you get your life fixed. Can I get an amen at the church? And this woman was not going to let her sin keep her from the Savior. She needed what every one of us need, and that is a fresh touch from Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, there's nobody like Jesus. We just sang about it so well. We saw the video. There's nobody like Jesus. The Bible says he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the lily of the valley. He's the fairest of 10,000. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the everlasting Father. He is the mighty God. I'm telling you, there's nobody like at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. One day every atheist, every agnostic, one day Oprah will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen in the church? Jesus is Lord. Would you say that with me? Jesus is Lord. All right, now that we've said that, is anyone's car on fire? Let me just ask. I see the lights and everybody, everybody okay? Okay, we good? Everything all right? You need to say anything? Okay. Thumbs up. He said we're good. So, all right. So we know this. You've got to get desperate. Number two, I've only got three. Are you okay? Number two, 
How do we experience a touch of it? You've got to get desperate. Secondly, you must ignore the criticism. Now watch what happens in verse 39. Did you see it? Look at it. Luke 7, verse 39. Watch the scripture. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this. Now, now what is this? What did he see? Well, you go back to verse 38. He saw this woman at the feet of Jesus anointing his feet with her tears and her perfume, wiping his feet with her hair. When he saw this, he said to himself, Boy, isn't this a holy moment? Man, I can't believe this would happen in my house. God, I can't believe. Oh, honey, you've got to get in here and see this. Look at this woman broken by sin at the feet of Jesus. Oh, this is such a precious... No, he didn't say any of that. When he saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. I want to tell you, Jesus knew exactly who she was. In fact, listen to me tonight. Jesus was not there for the Pharisee. He was there for the woman. And remember, this is a Pharisee. And instead of celebrating, hear me tonight, he's criticizing and critiquing. And he misses the miracle of the moment. Could I ask you a sobering question? How many church folk are like that? We miss the moment because it didn't happen the way we thought it should happen or it didn't happen the way it's always happened. We've never done it that way before, right? And you miss the moment. I mean, here's a, a Pharisee. In our day and age, this is, this is somebody inside the church, not outside. This is somebody very religious. Large portions of Scripture committed to memory. In our day and age, this would be somebody in the choir on the praise team. This might be a greeter, a deacon, an usher, a Bible teacher. This is somebody very... And instead of celebrating, this person is critiquing and criticizing and misses the entire moment. You know what I've discovered? When you get on fire for Jesus... Your greatest critics will come from inside the church, not outside the church. <laughs> I mean, outside the church, we can, we can expect that. They don't, why in the world would you go to church on a rainy Friday night? They don't understand it. They, they, they have no concept. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God illuminating their mind to the truth of God. They don't know the joy we have from fellowshipping one another. They don't know how our spirits are, are just so enthusiastic when we sing these great songs. They don't know we love to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God grows us to be more like the Son of God. They don't know. I get it. Criticism outside the church. I understand. I'll tell you what I struggle with is criticism inside the church. Folks, that ought to be your biggest cheerleaders. You get on fire for God and somebody from the cold water committee will show up at your church, at your house. I'm telling you that. Don't get too excited. We don't do that here. Why? We don't sing. We don't shout. We don't smile. We barely breathe. Why? Because people are sleeping. That's why I be quiet. Oh, I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of your life, my friend, I tell my folks, listen, be very careful about criticizing somebody's worship. You, you weren't there when their world was falling apart and God stepped in and did what only God can do. You, you wasn't there when that single mom went to the refrigerator wondering how am I going to feed little Timmy and Susie and didn't have any food till the end of the month. You, you wasn't there when she got the eviction notice and says, oh my, where am I going to move? 
You, 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 you weren't there when the spouse walked in and said, I found somebody else. I, I don't love you anymore. You don't make me happy. I, I'm, I'm headed somewhere down the road. You, you weren't there when they got the phone call from the doctor and said, I've got terrible news for you. You're in a battle for your life. You weren't there when he walked in and they said, hey, we appreciate it, but here's your pink slip. We don't need you any longer. And he's wondering, how am I going to make ends meet? I'm just telling you, you weren't there when their world was caving in and God, as only he could, walks into that room with his guardian angel's goodness and mercy and says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I'll be your protector and your provider and your defender and your deliverer. I will take care of you. So if they get a little excited in worship, excuse them, maybe you could use a dose yourself. God, ignore the criticism. At some point we have to decide, man, getting a touch of Jesus is more important to me than anything else. You must get desperate. You must ignore the criticism. And lastly, I would just say you must worship Jesus. Oh, I wish I could say this with such passion. Oh, a little more vigor. You, you, I just can't describe to you how important it is to worship Jesus. And let me make a couple of comments about worship just as I kind of wind down. N number one, worship involves your emotions. Think about it. This woman cried. She wept. She kissed the feet of Jesus. When you're in the presence of God, you feel something. Yeah, I, I, I know it's not. Well, if we get too far out of control, preacher, um, we're, we're not even on the radar yet. So it's okay. We're, we're, working on, we're just working on breathing and smiling right now. So, it, it, you know, I, I'd much rather have to, you know, Tame a fanatic and raise a corpse, wouldn't you? I mean, most of the time I'm trying to check for a pulse. Anybody alive? Anybody, anybody, anybody alive? We were singing these great songs. You've been saved. You've been born. Anybody in the house tonight had your sins forgiven? Come on. Would you lift your hand and wave it a little bit? Come on. Well, tell your face because evidently it ain't got the message. You ought to see what we see sometimes. Up here singing these great songs, man. You're preaching the Word of God. And you look out there and folks look like they've been baptized in prune juice. Got their lips stuck out so far they can swing on it and swing their legs, man. Are you kidding me? I love God. I just hate people. It doesn't work that way. When God saves you, He changes everything about you. Where's that passion? Where's that energy? Where is that emotion? I know it's not all emotion. I get it. I'm not talking about swinging the chandeliers and foaming at the mouth and growling like a dog. But I'm telling you, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, if Christ is in your life, if you know He's not dead, He's alive, and this world may be dark and dreary, but I've been sitting here to tell you on a good Friday night, God's not dead, God's not asleep, and God is still on His throne, my friend. Praise God, we can relax. God is on His throne. So if you want to come to church like a funeral service, have at it. But friends, he's been doing good to me, man. I will give him praise. I've decided the older I get, I'm going to clear me off a spot and have me a little Baptist fit. Why? Because he has saved me, delivered me, and he set me free. The Bible says he set my feet upon a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song on my tongue. Oh, I'm telling you, my God has been far better to me than I deserve. I dare not give him less than my very best. Amen. Worship involves your emotions, so I wish I had time to kind of break that down. We get excited about so many things here in Alabama. I moved here 17 years ago. I found a little place called Talladega. I was driving down by the road to preach somewhere, and I'm telling you, I looked off to the right. 
I never seen so many people in so many cars in all my life. A hundred thousand folks, and they lost their minds. They're just having. They're. I, I can't describe. And they're. Listen to me. They're watching cars go in a circle. <laughs> now, if that's your thing, no problem. I'm not down on that. I just didn't grow up a race. Not a big. It, it's just not me. I just. I, I, you know, they, they, here they come. Yeah. Here they come again. Yeah. Here they come again. Here they come again. Yeah. 500 times they're going to come. That's what, yeah, that's right, that's right. And we get all excited about our football games and, man, our racing. And I don't know what it is that kind of floats your boat, but I'm telling you, you cannot get more excited about that stuff that's going to pass away than you can about your Savior who saved you, delivered you, and set you free. I believe there ought to be a little passion, a little energy, a little emotion. Worship involves your emotions. And secondly, I would say worship is about giving, not getting. It's about giving. It's about giving, not getting. Think about this. This dear lady does not ask Jesus for one thing. Now this blows me away. I'm just thinking if, if, if I was going to see Jesus, I'd probably have a laundry list of things I'd like for him to look at. Hey, Jesus, you know, I got three girls. One I'm married. I got to get me two good husbands with a job. You know, and I, you know, we got this issue and that issue. And I, I'd probably come with a list of things I want Jesus to kind of help me with. But listen to me. She's too busy worshiping. Worship is about giving, not getting. Think about it. We've raised a whole generation of people who think worship's about them. <laughs> you come to church, sit down and fold your arms, say, okay, now make me happy. Good night, your spouse can't make you happy. You think the church is going to make you happy? Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, worship is not about me or you. Worship is about Him. It's about giving. And she gave two things, and then I'll close. Number one, she gave her perfume. Did you notice that? She gave her perfume. Now, now, don't miss this. In, in that day and age when you were going to visit someone of great esteem, you would oftentimes take a gift as a way of saying, I'm blessed. And so here she is closing the little one-door apartment. She's headed over to the Pharisee's house. She's not even invited. She's not even sure she's going to get in, but she's not going to miss her opportunity. And it dawns on her, I, I need to take something. And just before she closes the door, she's thinking, what am I going to take Jesus? I mean, what can I give him? And all of a sudden, she sees that bottle of perfume and dawns on her, that's what I'll take. It's the most expensive thing she has. She grabs that bottle. Here's another sermon for another time. But the very thing the enemy was using to keep her handcuffed, it was the perfume that would first catch the man's attention. The very thing the enemy was using to keep her handcuffed, she gave it to Jesus and he set her free. So I don't know what's got you handcuffed tonight, but I'm telling you, the power of God and the precious blood of Jesus Christ can set you free. And whom the Son sets free, He is free indeed. There's something special about women and perfume. Again, remember now, I live with four women. My wife and my three daughters. We're down to one daughter now. I've still got two in the house. Some Sundays there's so much hairspray and perfume I have to have an abutyl treatment to preach. But anyway... <laughs> They love perfume. I'll never forget my first church I pastored, a sweet little congregation in West Kentucky. There was a parsonage. That's a house that the church owns, and they could show up anytime they want, day or night, by the way. 
And on the other side was a, 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 tomb, a, a cemetery on those side of the church. Sometimes there was more life in the cemetery than the church, but that's another sermon. And so we're in this, this sweet little church, this congregation. I walked in one Saturday because it was a, a, a little sweet little congregation. I was the only staff member, and I wanted to make sure we were ready for Sunday. And so I came in Saturday afternoon to make sure everything was picked up and ready to go. And I smelled what I thought must have been a dead raccoon or a squirrel that crawled up in the wall and died. It was horrific. I mean, the smell would knock you over. And I walked up, wow, what is that? And I was in the little worship center, maybe about half this size. And there was a sweet 88-year-old widow in the back. Her name was Judell. I'll never forget this. And I called back to her. I said, Judell, do you smell that? And she said, yes. And I said, what is that? And she said, it's my perfume. Do you like it? And I said, I love it. <laughs> That's why I'm still in the ministry. This is the truth. I'll never forget this. She shook her head like a teenager. She's 88 years old now. Sweet, sweet widow. And she said to me, Preacher, they call it midnight passion. <laughs> and without thinking, I just said back to her. I said, well, Judell, that's fine, but you go to bed at 730. <laughs> and she said back, I know, but if I'm ever up till midnight, Preacher, I am ready. <laughs> it's a true story. It's the funniest thing. My wife is there. She'll tell you that. So here's this woman, listen to me, she's giving, watch this now, I'm almost done. She's giving the very best she has. And Jesus responds to that. Question, how often do we really give Jesus the best we have? I mean, if we make it to church, they tell us now the average church attendance for a family is 1.2 times a month. That's what they tell us now, studies tell us. About, about, about the average is 1.2 times a month. That's about 18 times a total year out of 52 something. I ran into a young couple in my church the other night, the other day. I come around a corner. It was their worst nightmare. I'm in public, so I come around a corner, and there they are staring at me. The kids are like, there's Father Kevin. No, it's Pastor Kevin. Anyway. And they're standing there, and, and so I just, hey, it's good to see you. And I hadn't seen them in church in a while. And I just said in passing, man, it's good to see you. Hey, our past hadn't crossed. I hadn't seen you in a while. And they said back, kind of matter of fact, oh, no, no, we were there last month. And I said back, you do know we meet every week, don't you? <laughs> they laughed and I laughed, but they got the point. That, that's where we're at in our nation now. There's a falling away that's happening, a fulfillment of Scripture, I might add. So if ever we need a stirring, it is now. If we ever needed a, a passion, it's now. If we ever need some energy, it's now. She gave the best she had. By the way, you get out of worship what you invest in it. She, she didn't save any for a rainy day. She gave it all. I probably would have said, well, you know what? This is, remember, this is how she made her living. So she's thinking, well, this is Jesus. Normally I just use one dab. Well, it's Jesus. I'm just going to double dab him, right? I'm going to give him two and really feel good about herself. That's kind of what I would do. She didn't save any for a rainy day. And Jesus responds to that kind of sacrificial, all-in worship. We sing the song, I surrender all. Do we? Do I really? Two people walk out of the same worship. One says, man, wasn't God in the house? Man, did you love the worship? Wasn't that song? Man, didn't you love the music? And, and the preaching was on target. And man, you could just feel the power of God, the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm telling you, if the preacher, if he, if, I'm telling you, if the choir to turn that around, I'd have to have me an actual glycerin tablet. Man, what a great service. 
Oh, I didn't want it to end. Somebody else walked out of the same service. And man, I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't like... Preacher must have golfed all week. The choir sounded like sick cows. Somebody sat in my seat and we had no coffee and the donuts were cold. And, wait a second. Same service. Same music, same message. What's the difference? One came to give. One came just to get. I tell my folks, you ought to walk out of church worn out and tarred. That's Alabama tar, T-A-R-R-E-D. I am tarred. Why? Because you're invested. You're into it. I mean, you're sitting on the edge of your seat, man. They're singing those songs, Villa Dorosa and the Mercy Tree. And Boy, thank God he saved me. He saved my soul. He forgave my sin. Praise God. Preach it, preacher. Amen. Praise the Lord. You're into it. You're emotionally. You're not just sitting there saying, when's this going to be over, right? No, you are invested in it. You get out of it what you invest in it. Hmm. Now, I'll leave that one alone. Let me give you one last one. She gave her perfume. And then she gave this. It's always been in the text. Somebody guess. What else did she give? I'm going to preach one more and we'll go. What is it? Her tears? I love that one. That's not mine, but it's a good one. It'll preach. Somebody else? What else did she give? Come on. Her perfume, yeah, we talked about that. That's a good one. Anybody else? Come on. I'm just going to make, we're going to stay here until y'all give me some answers. Anybody else got a guess? What is it? Her hair. That is so good. That's the one. We don't, we don't often talk about that. I think sometimes as guys, we don't, hair doesn't mean a lot to fellas. If we don't have a lot, we get ready quicker. But with women, hair is violent. Listen, I, remember now, I've had three teenagers. I never knew there was so much you could do to hair. You can gel it and cut it and perm it and mousse it and tease it. And one day I came in, she had her hair on the ironing board, ironing her hair. <laughs> yeah, had her head down on the ironing board, right? I, I never knew there was so much you could do to hair. Yeah, yeah, to us, hair doesn't mean that much. To women, it's vitally important. Now think about this. I got the landing gear out. Hang with me. Here's this woman giving her hair. I've had ladies in my church, and I guarantee, Pastor, you've experienced this. Probably in this church, maybe even somebody here tonight. Ladies who've been in the battle for their life with cancer. Oftentimes breast cancer. And as a pastor trying to minister to them, never walking down that road, I've asked them often, hey, Sherry, what's the worst thing you're on the back side of it now. You're doing much better. What was the worst thing in your journey? Help me be a better pastor. How do I minister to someone? How do I minister to a lady? Oh, and those, inevitably, they'll say something like this. Well, you don't really want to know. Oh, yeah, I do. Sure, help me. Sure. Hey, Tina, what, what, what was the worst thing in your journey? You're much better now, but what was, what was the worst thing? You really want to know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It seems so trivial. It seems so, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed by it. No, 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 no. Don't be embarrassed. Help me be a better pastor. And pastor, every one of them without exception would say, you really want to know? Yeah. And they would say something like this, okay. Um, you know, everything tasted like battery acid. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was awful. And they'd say, I couldn't sleep. I was nauseated. I just, uh, I, I was restless. I was, oh, I seemed to be stressed out. I was weary. I was weak. Uh, I was dizzy oftentimes. They'd go through a laundry list of things. And then they would say, but that wasn't the worst thing. What was the worst thing? You really want to know? And they would say, the morning, preacher, the morning I got up, 
I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you, but I looked in that mirror. And when I saw all my hair was gone, I don't know how to tell you this, but it devastated me. And without exception, I would say to them, no, 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 Sherry, Tina, Sheila, look, that, that's how God's designed you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, a woman's hair is her glory. Here's this woman giving her glory to the King of glory. Amen. In fact, in those days, I'll close with this. They didn't have the carpet and the asphalt and the automobiles, of course, that we had. And they would travel by donkey or foot, dusty and dirty. Someone came into your house, you'd have the water basin by the door, a hand towel. Oftentimes, a, maybe a little servant girl or boy would go and grab the, the towel and the water basin and would remove their sandals and would wash their feet as a way of refreshing them and communicating to them, We're, you're an honored guest in our house. They'd wash their feet, dry their feet, and replace their sandals back. And so here's the scene that we have in Luke 7. This woman's at the feet of Jesus. And she's kneeling. You say, well, how do you know she's kneeling? You can't wipe someone's feet with your hair standing up. And so she's kneeling. I believe her head's down, probably in repentance and brokenness and shame. Tears are dropping from her face onto His feet, the Bible says. I, I believe in, in my version, and I'm preaching, so it's my version tonight. And so um, I believe Jesus, as only He could, the Good Shepherd, probably takes His hand, places it lightly on her jaw, on her face, and lifts her head. You say, why? Because Psalm chapter 3, verse 3 says, He's the lifter of our head. Now hear me tonight. And for the first time in a long time, maybe ever, she's looking into the eyes of a man who wants nothing from her. She never responds to the critic. Why? She's too busy worshiping. Read the text. She never responds. He's missed the whole moment. Right? He, he's keeping score. We ain't never done it that way before. Doesn't he know who she is? Oh yeah, he knows exactly who she is. That's why He's there. And here's this holy moment. And the little servant girl or boy says, well, I'll go get the towel. And she says, no, we don't need it. Well, sure you do. His feet are soaking. Your perfume, your tears. Yeah, we do. I just did this last week. Be right back. It's around the go. No, no, no. Don't need it. Don't need it. Thank you, but don't need it. And she leans over in a posture of worship. And she takes the very hairs of her head and begins to wipe His feet. And then Jesus says, I think the sweetest words in the whole Bible. It's the same chapter, verse 48. We've looked at 36, 37, 38, 39. Look at verse 48. And Jesus looked to her and says, Your, four sweetest words in the Bible, Your sins are forgiven. Question. Wonder what it would be like to worship with her the following Sunday in church. She might get some of us pastors fired, you know. <laughs> Woo, you think there'll be a little pep in her step, a little tune on her tongue? Think you think she might have a little passion, a little energy when you begin to sing about these great songs? What he's done, what he's done, all oh, praise and glory to the Son. You don't think there'll be a little energy in her worship? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Incredible. By the way, 
He forgave my sin one day. Listen, her life was never the same. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. She went home. She was a whole new person. She went back to the same house, but she was not the same person. She's been changed by the power of God and the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I was sinking deep in sin. I was far from the peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained within. I was seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea. Come on, church. Don't make me shout myself down. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden, the heaviness, uh, the, the condemnation of my sin, it rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Amen. The old hymnist puts it this way. My sin, oh the bliss of this wondrous thought. My sin, listen to me, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. I'm telling you, when Jesus shows up, when He touches you, you're never the same. We're so glad you've been able to join us as we celebrate Good Friday in preparation for Resurrection Sunday. We'd like to thank Kevin Ham, pastor of Gardendale First Baptist Church, Gardendale, Alabama, for giving us such a wonderfully inspired message. We hope this message will remind you of the ultimate sacrifice made on the cross and of the glorious resurrection that made our salvation possible. Thank you once again for listening to our Good Friday service at Winfield Freewill Baptist Church, located at 1960 U.S. Highway 43 in Winfield, Alabama. God bless.